Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today we have part two with Martin McDonald, where we're going to be talking more about the efficacy of refeeds and diet breaks for general fat loss and contest prep. As always, guys, if you do enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating wherever you're listening to the podcast or if you're on YouTube. Please drop us a comment, a like, a subscribe. It's always really appreciated. But without further ado, let's get into the show. <laughs> but it's very interesting for me because I would say I'm that spendthrift phenotype mm. who just and like I just get hot and sweaty when I'm in a mass and I just mm. fidget and I want to move all the time and also feces related <laughs> like I much prefer when I'm dieting because like it's just better time on the toilet less yeah. time on the toilet yeah. whereas when I go into a surplus I'm just like yeah, it's, it just yeah, it uh, upregulates a lot, and I have yeah. to have a lot of calories to what you'd expect of someone of my size and activity to like gain weight. And I didn't actually finish my sentence there, so thank you so much for bringing that up. That when I sort of said dieting, and then you're going, you know, obviously you're taking in less food volume, but there's also so this is where my initial hypothesis started way, way, way back was. Well, you know, there's this much longer transit time through the gut, you know, for, it, it is the body able to digest more, you know, f, you know, we've got the fermentation of fibers, which we can then get these short chain fatty acids, which have a calorie caloric load. And then we can absorb those into the small in the, in the large intestine. So, but then you, you go on a massing phase and, you know, I actually, I won't say who, because it's just I'm talking about someone else's bowel habits, but essentially said, so, you know, go bulk and whatever. But, but literally going to the toilet, you know, three to five times a day for a bowel movement. And, but not, you know, not like, they're not consuming 10,000 calories a day, just like a, a good surplus, but, but eating far, like exactly as you've said, eating far more calories than you think should be necessary to gain a certain amount of weight. And like, yeah, there are other reasons, but I'm very much of the, uh, you know, and the, these studies, hopefully they are being done. You know, there's some new 2020 onward studies looking at some of this stuff and, um, you know, I'm just thinking, uh, and with, with this individual that I was mentioning there, I said, you know what, they, finding ways that you can, you know, don't add more oats, just add stuff that requires no real digestive um, effort. So drinking a maltodextrin shake, for instance, like during your gym session, consume 400 plus calories of, you know, it's just a hundred grams ish of maltodextrin, which, you know, is digested like that. It's pretty much pure glucose. The, the reason being when you're bulking, it's like, oh, I'm going to drink this sugar water. I feel sick. I already hate the sight of food. I don't want more. It's just like drinking water, the maltodextrin, because of the, um, the bonds, it takes that, you know, it's not uh, impacting your sweet receptor in the same way. So you go, you're just drinking water. So cool. I've just consumed 400 calories without noticing. And it's not led to any greater digestive load. And so little things like that, then it's like, Oh, is there a way we can improve absorption? Can we like look at digestive enzymes? Maybe, maybe it's just the body. So, you know, there's lots of stuff that, you know, on a one-to-one -one practitioner, if I was working with someone, I might do, but I wouldn't go and tell everyone on the internet, do this because then it'd be like, where's your evidence? Can you provide a randomized control trial? But it's like, you know, people have sort of heard it there. They can go and ponder themselves what they might do. Sure. But yeah, that, that thanks for bringing that up because that's, that's the situation of you go from not going to the toilet, you know, you're going every one to four days to then going one to four times a day, it, it it's a big difference. And the, the, the amount of food volume isn't that great because what do we all do when we're dieting? We increase fiber, we increase high fibrous foods, we increase food volume, but yet 
even with all of that broccoli you're eating or whatever, you know, which I then, who eats that? You know, I can just remember like kilos, you know, just kilo of broccoli, yum. (laughs) And and then I get some salt on there. Oh, this is so tasty. Like what the hell? I'm so glad I'm not one of them anymore. Um, So I'm not eating that when I'm bulking. And, but yet your bowel movements are more frequent. And so, you know, and transit time is much less. So there, you know, for me, there's, there's all of these different areas of why, you know, gaining weight, losing weight. There's so many, there's such a dynamic system with different changes. It isn't just neat, which everyone discusses. It's this, you know, consumption, absorption, or digestion, absorption, and then storage, and uh, and then the, the impact up and down of, you know, some people diet and they move less. Some people don't move too much less. Some people's appetites go through the roof. Some people don't do that as much, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's just so many parts of this equation that are all really our genetics that are kind of the sort of underpinning of that yeah and i I really appreciate that and i think the kind of i'm glad you really expanded on this subject because i think it just shows tells people like yeah i'm not just saying genetics impact these things like it's like there's research and we're seeing influence many areas of kind of this this area and a question i would have i guess just to finalize this question for me obviously like you or me, we're not going to be playing basketball like in the NBA, for example, because you have to be a certain height to just qualify however hard we work. Or we're never going to be Usain Bolt, however we train. But as a bodybuilder who's trying to get stage condition, lines in their glutes, whatever, do you think like it's just a case of like you might find it harder than someone else, but you can work hard enough so you can eventually get there, assuming you have sufficient muscle mass? Yeah, I thought you might ask this question. (laughs) Um. So I think just a couple of things on this. One is obviously in the bodybuilding world, people talk about, have these words of like the quality of the muscle, you know, and it's like people use that term and it's like, you can just say it on a bodybuilding forum. People just know, but then you (laughs) say it in research and they go, sorry, what? Which like, are you are you sort of qualitatively interviewing your myofibrillar proteins to see if they're like either is he a quality guy or is he a bit of a not quality guy? Like, what does that mean? So, it, it, there's 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 elements of this and like people's structural makeup. Okay, we talk about like the the origins and insertions of their muscle. We talk about like even just absolute muscle mass, and then I think I saw. Uh, might have been Alberto Nunes said something about kind of like as he aged, he was sort of noticing, uh, I don't know if it was him, so sorry if I'm misquoting you, Alberto, but it was like the thinness of the skin, of his skin. It was just like his aged skin was just then being able to bring him this like new sort of granite look. Um, that is a definite said thing. And I'm sure Alberto's talked about it. He, okay, he may cool. not have said exactly that, but something cool. to that. Thing. Um and you know we could we know that that aging skin, like it the kind of collagen levels in it, elasticity, di- like different elements of skin change over time as part of the aging process. We know that. Um and again if you've got more muscle in an area, being able to see greater levels of detail and so you know like for instance striated glutes like one person's striated glute will look slightly different to another a bit like abs it's like oh i've got a six pack i've got an eight pack or whatever and this is based on the ligaments between these different muscles um so if we if we're literally talking about levels of leanness It comes down to, I I have a quote on a slide somewhere that is something like, and it's not about bodybuilders, but it's something like at some point um, expecting 
I can't remember it now, actually. This is annoying. But it, essentially the point I was trying to get across is with some clients, forget bodybuilders, at some point it's it's the definition of insanity, you know, quoting kind of Einstein, to just keep trying to do the same thing and expect a different result in that at a point of dieting, my appetite gets so high as a member of the general public and my genetics mean that my, you know, fecal content of energy is down next to zero. I'm absorbing every calorie of every food I eat and I feel tired and metabolically like I have my libido is absolutely shot and I'm completely fatigued and I don't want to move around because I feel all of these things and then going, you know, let's just keep pushing hard. Let's just drop calories a bit more. It just, it's, and someone yo-yos to believe that something different is going to happen is, is insanity unless you're changing something in your system. So, but when we talk about bodybuilders, Leanness is just an energy-dependent process. Like if you starve yourself long enough, you will lose body fat. And like disclaimer at this point, I'm not recommending this. Like I, I think you are a very pragmatic, logical uh, uh, kind of guy who acts with integrity in that you know, I'm sure with your clients, you have, you sometimes have to have honest conversations with them of oh, this is getting, you know, we're pushing this envelope hard here. And, but you know, you're asking me a, a, like a, whatever it is, an ivory tower question of like, can everyone, it's like, yeah, you like, if you starve yourself, your body will eventually lose the, that body fat. It's whether or not you can maintain any training intensity in the gym. It's whether or not you can mentally do it because so many issues, you know, the starved brain starts to push us towards, I, I don't know if the word psychosis is appropriate, although it is used in, um, you know, the Minnesota starvation study. So I'm fairly sure psychosis is literally the uh, prognosis uh, in that situation. So yes, it can happen, but on a, in an ivory tower discussion, but pragmatically speaking, the wheels may just fall off the wagon before someone gets there in that they start, they mess their relationship with food up so bad that whether they're honest with their coach or with themselves, they're binging. They're, I'm just going to do a refeed. This was me. I was doing refeeds. Oh, they were back then they were called cheat meals and cheat days uh, because no one told me that that's moronic and terrible. Um, and, you know, and, and they, they weren't calorie counted or, or whatever you, you put my, what, you know, cheat meal or cheat day calories and you spread it over my other seven. And I was on super low calories here and you average it out. And I was just eating at maintenance for like the last six weeks of my diet, but I was trying really freaking hard, but you know, I was lying to myself slash, you know, anyone who was giving me any advice was a moron back then. So yeah, it's, you know, in answer to your question, yeah, I guess everyone can get there. Everyone has muscle mass. Everyone has, you know, glutes that look a certain way. If you cut someone open, a cadaver open, we all have those bits in our body and um, you just lose enough body fat and you'll be there. It's just that for some people, it's just going to become insanely hard in terms of how badly they metabolically adapt. And metabolic adaptation, I want to expand that definition to everything that we've mentioned in this podcast, not just, oh, I'm going to maintain my neat. You know, it's like other stuff too. I think that's really well said because 
it it might sound to some people like you've just said oh no one has an excuse for not kind of coming in condition or whatever like any yeah. condition of <laughs> like someone like i said brett freeman or alberto nunez yeah but the key thing you mentioned there is like the pragmatics of it like what happens when someone like you might be able to get to the same level of body fat as that individual if you like push yourself hard enough but what else are you sacrificing alongside yeah which is the sport of bodybuilding so if you lose your training quality you lose muscle yeah. mass or like, yeah. your fullness you're just like a like a sack of potatoes on stage like you might be really lean but if you can't show off the kind of the quality of the muscle or what have you then like you're not going to be competitive so ultimately to get to like that elite condition there is a like an element of genetics that even goes into that even if you can get to that body fat if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely it's a complex like genetics are super complex it always riles yeah. me up when someone's like oh like it's not my genetics that made me look like this at all it's all my hard work i'm like oh, it's like you know there's a strong amount yeah. of like it's, it's foundational mostly genetics yeah. if you're a natural bodybuilder it's mostly your genetics like yeah. people can just pretty much do any training protocol and it's just your genetics like <laughs> Like, if you could put a number on it, it is, is super, super high. Like, it's it doesn't take away from anyone's hard work to admit that genetics are a big part yeah. of it. It's like, yeah, you brilliant, well done, you tried really hard, but it's just like, you know, it's like they they do dictate so much in in the world of natural bodybuilding. More than so much, they dictate such a great deal in terms of you know, skeletal structure being an absolute oh yeah nightmare for someone like me. That's just why I was like, front relaxed. Cool, you've lost already. Like, what? <laughs> That's this me. This is front relaxed. <laughs> like, you just look ugly as hell. I'm sorry, but you just, just do not have, you know... Um, that tiny waist. What's his name? Buchanan? Is he the... Uh, one of the uh, 70s, 80s era. Someone Buchanan. Some One of your followers will know him. Go and Google him. Just... Tw like 25 inch waist and then just like 50 inch chest unbelievable <laughs> hey pascal here i just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service at revive stronger we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching and if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level hit the link in the description below you have the same um, issue as me then that's that's always what i suffered from yeah. are you still good for time for another question yes yes i'm actually so typing buchanan uh, go on, carry on. i was going to come on to because you brought up refeeds and that was something i had as a question for you because obviously there's been yeah. i think like more and more research and probably more kind of uh research within the area of like bodybuilders as well has started coming out of bill campbell's lab for the efficacy of using them um so i wanted mm -hmm. to know what your kind of take because i think yeah, different people have different takes on the studies themselves. It's not like the study was done and there was just like this clear answer. It's like, oh, some people have kind of interpreted it to support it or they're still like unsure about it. Where have you settled with your kind of uh, use of refeeds, diet breaks? Uh, what do you see as the practical use of those? Yeah. Um, just if anyone does want to Google, it's Brian Buchanan. Brian uh, Buchanan. He, he is the epitome of bodybuilding um anyway sorry um so refeeds yeah it's a funny one so we're so far you know being someone who who tries to start an answer from a evidence-based standpoint and well not let's get away from the word evidence-based from a study based from a you know very research focused what's the research shown and then we'll start using practitioner expertise to turn this into an evidence-based practice it's super hard to start anywhere like you've mentioned that Campbell study uh, I'm not really well versed on it but and the reason I'm not is because this they're, they're so far from being useful currently I'm like ah it the way I would get people to be thinking about this stuff to begin with is starting from a coach mindset, starting from a, to use that word, pragmatic mindset again, who's in front of you? Why am I doing it? Uh, you know, we, we have some great understanding. I, I, I did a talk maybe four or so years ago, uh, 
around the time of the Matador study, which you'll be aware of, the which I guess it, again is kind of in this realm of refeed slash intermittent energy restriction, like refeeds. I guess in the bodybuilding world, it's like there's always that question: when should I do a refeed? And it's like, oh my goodness, like how there's just you can't give this exact after this many weeks or look at this marker and when this becomes this which is why you employ a coach like yourself it's just like they'll be able to help you sort of that facilitation that guiding of this potentially is a time let's have this discussion these are the things we can look out for but there's just no um concrete answer you can give someone so you know, within, within the bodybuilding world of refeeds, it's like, and, and I'll just quickly say refeeds for me, you're talking like, so, so this is how I define it. Carb up day. We're talking about a day for, you know, for instance, carb up meals, whatever, a day with higher carbohydrates. Then we've got a refeed where really for me, a refeed Yes, I'm not going to say anyone's wrong for saying it's a you know one day refeed. Absolutely fine. But when I did this talk about overcoming fat fat loss plateaus and talking about some of the research around this area, and I talk about this kind of aggressive refeeding strategies, I don't know if we ever discussed these any of these sorts of things in our previous podcast together. But um, aggressive refeeds, talking about like like three days, for instance, like this sort of 72 hour period where we, where we have studies that have looked at some of the cool markers that we like to believe we know what they might mean. So like leptin and, and, and T3 and testosterone and, um, total daily energy expenditure. Brilliant. So we know, okay, cool. If we do this, aggressive refeed if we do this kind of low fat high carbohydrate you know maintaining protein you know at at maintenance calories plus a little we can impact these hormones in a very or in a statistically significant fashion in a direction that we believe to be positive so i'll leave that there and then we've got this diet break type scenario so somewhere between one and two weeks so we and we have these studies we you know a week or two at a you know at maintenance predicted maintenance calories uh with a high predominance of carbohydrate in the diet and again we get some of this um attenuation of uh, of some of the negative effects that we might have seen through dieting. So some restoration of, of NEAT, for instance. Now, the, the problem that we're left with is, I'm going to, I think I can think of two. I should probably have a pen and paper next to me. I have actually, so I don't lose my train of thought. But you, the first one, which you, you only really realize um when you've been in the trenches is you start you do that diet break and you just remember how amazing food is like you just sort of remember my goodness it's nice not to be hungry my goodness it's nice to eat all of these varieties of food you know you do a one week at maintenance or two and then and but you're already much leaner than when you started so you you do like in fm fmri studies functional magnetic resonance imaging we know that if you are dieted if you are further away from if everyone's comfortable using the term of like set point settling point whatever we start really wanting to eat nice foods and so you you know, you put, you make someone look through a little hole and it's like, oh, there's broccoli. And they go, not really that fussed on eating that. And then you, you put a donut there and they're like, it's like crack cocaine in their brain is <laughs> it's flashing. And uh, to a, you know, a significantly enhanced degree because they're at this new low body fat level. So, 
you you remind people of that you allow them this flexibility they whatever so from a pragmatic coaching perspective it's like oh, they have to like really go oh, right back to and and it's great that we're, we're in this new realm of flexible dieting and so you don't have to be the old school chicken and rice or whatever and tuna and broccoli whatever you can have good dietary variety which is fantastic and should be heavily encouraged but we also know that the palatability of food and taste variety does encourage us to want to consume more calories so it is a useful tool to some extent to sometimes limit the variety of taste that you have on a i'm talking contest prep diet here like nor my normal audience this would be a different message but talking to your audience some limitation of that can be helpful. If you're fine and dandy, your appetite's absolutely control, you're losing body fat, the life is just absolutely fantastic, cool, brilliant for you. Everyone hates you, but cool. Um, like the rest of us are suffering. Um, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's a tool that can be used by, by limiting those things. So there, there's just this issue of, okay, if we do a diet break, that's something to be aware of. Number two is, yes, we see these some of these physiological changes. Now, I don't know if this... There's another study that was done recently that might have been uh, Jackson Pios, um, but it was like an endurance athlete or something. Um, do, you know, do you know it? Jackson definitely did a follow-up, but I, think it, I don't think it was a new... I don't think I remember the one on endurance athletes. No, no, no cool. There was there was just something about uh, it was it was anyway. Basically, they did some sort of it was like a diet, and then there was a refeed period, and and they just I mean it, it wasn't revolutionary, but you know just it's great that these studies are being done. But it was like yeah, when there was a diet break, it allowed greater training volume in that re, in that week and. I think um, I remember the one, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm not making it up then. I was a bit like, oh, crap, if you've not heard of it, it's like, oh, geez. Um, it's because it wasn't in bodybuilders. I'm like, oh, Yeah, you don't <laughs> care, right? Um, uh, so, but what we're talking about here is body composition. And so, yeah, the endurance athletes are irrelevant. But um, the the point being is if we do the diet break, so if we take, let's say, you know, the, the new age of natural bodybuilding is like, God, you know, when I competed, it was like diet for 12 weeks. Now, if you diet for any less than six months, you're a lightweight, like, <laughs> like what? 12 weeks. Oh, good luck. Like game over for you. You're not placing. So it's like, there's like this standard six months. So you're dieting for this amount of time. And we're going to put in a week diet break and we're going to put in some aggressive refeeds here and there and then if you can sort of imagine a curve in your head it if we are to do the, the point is is does doing it put us ahead of the game that's the question that we should be asking ourselves it's not we know yeah good stuff happens cool but but does it move you towards your goal and it certainly doesn't in that week so then the question is okay, if I'm going to take my six months and then I'm going to comp compare two people and in the middle of it, one of them took two weeks off and yeah, cool, they got some restoration of knee and their leptin change and their T3 change and blah, 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 blah. But the other person just kept dieting for two weeks. This is what we don't currently know of does the fact that great, they got some restoration of, of RMR, for instance, like the metabolic rate was a bit higher, but like, yeah, cool. But the other person was still in a deficit and they've just, they've got ahead of you. So you need to not only catch them up, but you then need to get ahead of them for that to have been a useful period. So the, the answer to the question is physiologically, we don't know. 
And psychologically, research is pretty pointless because like, like psychology is just, we're all, we've just discussed how different we are all genetically and kind of discussed sort of fairly genetic, fairly physiological realms but then you go the psychology of the client the psychology of the athlete the and then you go you know should they should they do this or not and it's like you you pretty much just need to do n equals one studies forevermore and then it's just like well let's not bother with studies let's just actually just work with the person in front of us so this is my thing with uh and actually it's just made me think of one thing uh, with female athletes, female bodybuilders, in that, you know, in in my general population kind of education and talks and whatnot, I'm tr- I'm trying to encourage a bit more of a compassionate approach, people to take a more compassionate approach with themselves to dieting, uh, because it just works so much better, and not hating themselves into change and not not going, oh, you know, I binge, therefore. Like I always make this joke of like, oh, Martin, you know, like I came home from work on Friday and like I had this really bad day at work and, you know, my boss shouted at me. And then so I just kind of went and binged on loads of food. And then after I binged, like I was crying. And so then I cried loads. And then and then as I was crying, I ate some more food and then and then I fell asleep. And then I woke up the next day and I was really unhappy because I binged and then I was crying and then I hated my life all of a sudden and then I was crying and then I binged on my phone. So I was just wondering, is there a supplement I should take to um, help? And I'm like, like, these are almost, that's almost like a legitimate question or like, so I'm just wondering it, what macro split should I do this week? And I'm like, Oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? Like something's wrong. Like, stop asking me about macros, but stop, should I should I intermittent fast today because of that situation? No, you hate your life. Like, stop doing it. Um, you know, I, I've answered multiple questions this weekend. You know about, you know, I've got, I, I, I re- I'm really disappointed in myself. I'm really whatever. I'm going through. I've got binge eating disorder, and I'm just wondering how if you've got any tips for weight loss and I just wrote, I don't know if you saw this one, but I just said, stop trying to lose weight. Like get yourself better. Like you just, I just don't understand. Like I do get it because it's the world and it's life and it's pressures and it's whatever. But I'm just like, I, I just want to sort of shake people in a, in a loving way and be like, stop it. Like, fuck dieting like it's not the be all and end all nobody cares your family don't care no like they just want you to be happy and healthy being having less body fat is not going to change your happiness so it's like so coming back to female clients like um, on my tour talks i was like I, i do a big bit on this kind of like the menstrual cycle we understand that, that that it's a very different situation for females to males in terms of what happens over a, a, a roughly four-week period. So where this ties into this discussion we're having now is like, okay, well, if you have a female client or you are a female or whatever, and you know every single month there is that one week where you are way more hungry where you are um and and we know that metabolism like again you're probably not testing metabolism but we know that the evidence supports or or shows that there's this elevation of metabolic rate in that week and you're not going to know exactly what yours is whether it's 50 or 100 or 200 calories more but let's say you know you're roughly in a 400 calorie deficit and you roughly um assume that you're going to increase your metabolic rate by a hundred hi guys steve here just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service at revive stronger we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level if you're interested check the description and sign up
you could not diet in that week and therefore not hate your life as much, not fall off the bandwagon. Because this is a big thing of just getting into that cycle, which just undermines any progress whatsoever. Like, oh, I don't want to take that week off because I'll be miles behind. It's like, you've been trying to diet for 20 years, Sheila. Let's try something different, shall we? It's gonna, we're gonna only go at 75% of the pace, but we're actually gonna make progress because you're not gonna hate every fourth week and then just go back to square one so you know it might be that with a female client who who you know some some female clients don't have this situation it's worth bearing in mind that you still need to work with the individual that you can't just base on um you know whether they have a menstrual cycle or not and so in this scenario we're not trying to get a physiological advantage necessarily we just we need to go a little bit slower because that week we're undermining our progress because every week it's just a slog it's not an enjoyable process like you know the whole um you know a man who enjoys walking uh will walk further than the man who just wants to get to the destination and it's just like sort of falling in love with the process if you're just like cool eight weeks have gone by and i've just sort of enjoyed this we keep going we can adapt versus god month one was a slog cool let's start month two like just taking a bit longer for that reason so that that's one possible reason it's not diet breaks per se but it's a similar concept and again with a male client you can do the same thing you don't if you have someone who can go into like there's this I've heard you use like dig like dig phases sure uh, so it's like I'm gonna put time and effort and then life comes into it right like when someone's got I've got four weeks where I can really just put everything into my training and diet and da 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 like you know I'm a big fan of rapid fat loss protocols like I know I can do everything I need to in these two weeks and I'm gonna achieve these results and then I'm gonna go to maintenance and then I'm gonna achieve this like rapid fat loss is not great for physique people but for other people it's it's the same it's the same premise it's like okay i i need a week off i can do a diet break because of xyz and i can push into my training quality i can you know push my volume up i can recover a bit better i can blah 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 and just one last thing to say with this is like for anyone who listens to your podcast who's like not necessarily a physique competitor it's like i another thing I've been saying recently is like, I always try and encourage our MNU certified nutritionists to coach people to live. Like don't coach them to diet, coach them to live. Like all too often people are like, Oh, you need to have, you need to build habits. And that's the only way you'll keep weight off. And it's like, you actually, you don't like, you need to build habits that are specific to living and weight maintenance. You don't have to coach any habits for fat loss any at all, because we, we know that people can lose fat doing any kind of stupid shake diet, any fad diet, they can do it. People really can flip and do it. What they need is habits and structures and environments that promote the weight maintenance side of things. And those two aren't the same things. Like they will have obvious crossover, eat some vegetables, do, do some exercise, like there'll be crossovers, but you you actually need a, a different set of skills, a different environment, a different, uh, it's a different process to maintain for the rest of your life than it is to dieting. So actually with, with diet breaks, I'll often say, okay, like goal one, 5% of body weight. If you've got someone who's lots of body fat, they're, you know, maybe metabolically quite unhealthy. Oh, I'm 120 kilos. And you know, the doctor says I need my BMI says I should be 66 kilos. That's literally a question I got the other day. Where do I start? And I'm like, start at 5% because clinically that you're going to live longer because of that number. That's, that's your first goal. Let's look at that. And as you go along this process, okay, we're going to do a diet break at 5%. We're going to do a diet break at 10%. What what's life like here? You know, Bob, at ten percent weight reduced. Yeah, I'm cool, loving life, great, blah blah blah. Cool, fifteen percent, twenty percent. What's life like? Bit hungry. Uh, 
I feel like I'm not seeing my friends as much anymore because I'm just I'm becoming a bit antisocial because I, it's hard to go out and do, 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 do. And you start to learn the client. You actually help someone to live a better life, which really is what people should be doing in in those realms. It's like you're not looking to just someone to get a six pack and then send them off and then they just regain. It's like, what does your life look like now? Like, oh, I'm totally obsessed with food. I don't go out. I've got food anxiety. I don't, I'm kind of sort of socially, um, socially anxious. I'm obsessive. I, you know, oh, cool. Like I have no libido. You know, I kind of wanted to lose this fat because I wanted to get a girlfriend or boyfriend and blah, blah, blah. And now like, I just literally have no interest in the opposite sex. Like, it's like, did we win? We definitely didn't. So that's just another thing when I talk about diet breaks is like, do that diet break. And actually, have they been calorie counting? Yes. Okay. Shall we try in our diet break to use a habit-based approach, a non-calorie counting approach so that we don't end up with a client who only knows how to live calorie counting because that sucks. Shall we use some of our diet breaks along this long process to go, let's not track these meals let's, or let's not track these snacks or let's not track this one meal or whatever. How did you feel? What did body weight do in this week? Oh, actually, I sort of managed to just maintain it. Like, how crazy is that? I've never managed that before. Oh, that's fantastic. Like, it, you know, there, there's a much greater um, use to diet breaks outside of like leptin, T3, blah, blah, blah. In a, in a coaching process that, you know, I'm sure loads of your listeners might be competitors themselves, but they probably work with loads of gem pop people if they're PTs cool. and stuff. So, yeah. No, I think that's really well said because I, th- I think the research at the moment is not indicating that they're anything particularly special in that mm. regard. And uh, so a lot of it is psychological. And like you said, right at the start, you're like, take your client like as a person. And are they yeah. someone who's like, I don't know, like they are that robot who's just like, I just, I don't want, like, if you give me a like flicker of interest, I'll go wild and it will just send them down. I don't know, potentially binge eating or what have you, or are they someone who needs this break now and then? And equally the same way, like you said, there, like listening to your client in terms of taking them down. Cause I've had clients like a uh, more gen pop and like obese clients. We lost a lot of weight and then like, I don't know, the rule of thumb would be to maintain for a period of time before we get back into dieting. But it's like you said, if they're feeling good and ready and they're happy to like, keep going or what have you then maybe you diet and you continue to go or maybe you stop sooner because they're in a place where they're like breaking down and like life isn't good and so you're like right let's take a stepping stone here and go back down because obviously genetics play a huge factor but then there's environment and everything else like not everyone lives the same way so i think that was well answered because it's like we don't have clear like black and white answers on it it's very much like an n equals one take your client through it it's another tool in the tool belt type of thing yeah and another thing actually just something you said that just made me think of this is i i recently released my uh rapid fat loss calculator but it was just like iteration one it was just sort of helping people start to get concepts around that and uh the the next one that i haven't done yet is uh one that will then uh, sort of try to mathematically help with when to do a refeed. And one of the premises behind that is for me personally, I can diet a lot easier on fewer calories than would maintain my lean body mass. So if I was to do it for an extended period, I would inevitably start to lose lean body mass and you know it's it's you know worth reminding people lean body mass isn't just muscle we have other areas of lean body mass so one of those that will start to happen is i will get a glycogen depletion but once i start to become very glycogen depleted the body is only going to you know my rapid fat loss calculator is based on this you know equation of what's the maximum rate that my body can give up fat to be oxidized for fuel and any deficit greater than that has to come from other reserves and then once i'm glycogen depleted that's gonna have to come from protein degradation so uh but but my issue is is you know being uh, in kind of like a moderately lean realm but 
still with my bodybuilding roots, I'm like, okay, if I just want to be a bit leaner for a period of time. But now that I've found this, you know, I hate dieting like a bodybuilder. I like dieting in a rapid fashion. I, what happens is I want to set my calories and I diet better and have less hunger and, and whatnot at a too low value. So what I then want to do using kind of uh, some of the research on, you know, the, the ability of the body to store glycogen based on like wet weight, wet weight muscle, then be able to go, if you diet at this many calories, you're, you're the time period where you need to refeed is, you know, every 6.4 days, like it'll come out with some, you know, stupidly accurate figure that is like, whatever, I'll round it to something normal. But that that that's another one in terms of these refeeds, like doing a carb up day, for instance, and then that carb up day needs to be, you know, 10, 10 grams per kilogram carbohydrate. And, you know, uh, you know, so we'll calculate those things. So again, that was just one thing that made me remember when you were saying about kind of a gem, gem pop client refeeds and not necessarily diet breaks is that's another use for them of getting carbohydrate back into the muscle. Because if you do teeter on this level of, you know, we know the leaner you get, the much greater propensity you have to lose muscle or not much, but you know, with every degree of increased leanness, your propensity to lose muscle is going to increase. And, and so therefore your calorie deficit needs to decrease. So if someone is two to four weeks out from a show and they're legitimately lean and they're in a 500 calorie deficit, they are 100% every single day losing lean body mass, whether that is from carbohydrate stores or they're losing some muscle. So, you know, you, you need to be it's a hundred, the end stages, this is why hardening up to use that a very um, bodybuilding world term, you know, hardening up is, can be a period of, you know, four, eight weeks of just like, I've been lean for that long, but when you're only in a hundred or 200 calorie deficit, because that's all you can realistically supply the system with from, you know, adipose tissue, um, it takes a whole long time to just get those last bits out, which is when, like we were talking about earlier, getting the glutes, people think oh, I just stay in this 500 calorie deficit. I just drop calories, I'll up my cardio. And then they just, you know, again, another building, bodybuilding world come in stringy, but not necessarily lean. It's like you needed to diet on a, with a hundred calorie deficit for eight more weeks. And you just, you tried to diet in eight weeks was most of your whole diet, you know, me. It's like you needed to do this for six plus months. Uh, but that was just another thing that came into my head with regards to refeeds and stuff like that is you might need to top up glycogen levels as a as a pool for lean body mass. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting, particularly your last point there, because the you're tracking such small amounts of fat on the scale at that point where the scale almost becomes useless as well. So yeah. it's a real kind of mindfuckery in a sense yeah, where I yeah. can absolutely see where people push it too far because yeah. they're trying to see that scale drop. Whereas actually it's like you're almost looking for a look at that point. And as a bodybuilder, that's where refeeds can be handy because you do get that top off of glycogen stores, maybe a down regulation of stress and you kind of get a bit of a peaking effect. And yeah. so you get that practical value from kind of that refeed or maybe if you take a, a weak diet break at that point, yeah. it becomes more practically relevant whether or not it's having all the other benefits which it, we, we haven't got a good data on bodybuilders being that lean for that long so no, no. we're probably never yeah. going to get that data unfortunately yeah, yeah. but um martin this has been fantastic i don't want to keep you for too long otherwise i could just take you for the rest of the day i know you've got things to do you're a busy yeah. man and i just want to say a massive thank you for coming on i think people will really enjoy this i'm sure they will and they'll start bugging me to bring you back on hopefully less than two <laughs> years we'll have to see though yeah, um, no, and yeah if, if people want to if they're not already following you where where's the best place they should head yeah, uh, Martin Nutrition is uh, my Instagram handle uh, and also I think similar on Facebook anyway, but I spend a lot of time on Instagram if people want to reach out and, and those kind of things. And then, like I said, Mac Hyphen Nutrition Uni is the nutrition course. Um, and then like my podcast, Not Another Nutrition Podcast, if people want sort of tidbits they're they're quite sh they're shortish episodes and on a variety of topics i've started doing a few 
nutrition, parenting, uh, all sorts, wisdom esque ones. So quite eclectic mix on there. But yeah, if people people are interested, that you know, I'm easy to find on the internet. I spend most of my time. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in- enjoying the podcast actually because sometimes. I don't know, Danny Lennon, Sigma Nutrition is great, but sometimes you want something, maybe a little bit of an easy listen, but still feels in- educational. And I'd say yeah. there are some on there that are they're very educational, but some that are a bit more of a just easy listen yeah. to have in the background. So yeah, I definitely I think recommend that. For your listeners, I would just say, it's just like, don't, uh, the, I, I get so many negative comments on YouTube, just like, but I just my podcast is like I'm not trying to sell anything that it, it really is just a hobby I just thought do you know what people ask me all these questions and I, I'm there like trying to record a 15 second Instagram story video t- giving them an answer or like a it'll be four videos minute long and I was like do you know what I'll just record a five six ten you know and then as you people have heard from this podcast i end up talking i talk a lot um so it might turn into a but it turns into a decent ish 20 minute answer but likewise i'm just chatting like i'm just chatting to my followers i know lots of my followers you know lots of me following me for five ten years and you know i i go off topic i have you know lots of people say i love it it's like a coffee shop feel i do it when i'm you know doing the dishes or when i'm doing my steps and my cardio or whatever like so don't go there with like pen and paper like (laughs) People are just like, you took seven minutes until you actually finished that point. And I am not happy with this free educational material. Like what you need to do is have a specific beginning, middle and end of your podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, this is a free podcast. Go somewhere else. Do do my nutrition course. It's really freaking good. And it's got a start, middle and end and some homework you can do. But anyway, so yeah, it's just a, it's supposed to just be a bit of a field yeah. thing, a few jokes and, and, but hopefully helpful. Like, you know, I, I love the feedback that I get from it mostly. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I enjoyed it a lot and uh, I recommend it to others. Uh, you've kind of got the lowdown of what it's going to consist of. So you can't give Martin yeah. any, any uh, bad, any bad comments. Yeah. So, yeah, any hate. So yeah, thank you so much guys for listening and we'll catch you soon. Take care. Thanks very much. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another, a really cool community for people within our little niche. It's going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will lock our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.